You are listening to a message from Sound Words. To find information about our ministry, please visit our website at soundwords.org. You can also download our free app from iTunes or Google Play to access more great sermons. We're going to Ephesians chapter 4 in your Bibles. We really came to a new section. Last time we overviewed again just as a reminder, primarily the first three chapters. The first three chapters focus on the doctrine of the teaching that is foundational to our practice. You can't disassociate them. You can't just have practice because that's what we do. It has to be practice that is based on our doctrine, on the teaching of the Word of God. And that's what the first three chapters of Ephesians do. Doesn't mean there's no practical emphasis there, but it's primarily a doctrinal presentation of who and what we are in Christ as a result of God's work of grace in our lives. Chapters 4, 5, and 6 apply that doctrine. And naturally, there'll be references to the doctrine. For example, when chapter 4 opens up, we are told to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which we've been called. Well, the walk has to do with our conduct. And we noted that the expression to walk is used twice in chapter 2. But he doesn't elaborate on what that walk ought to look like. Again, he focuses in the first three chapters on the foundation for that walk. Now he can tell us to walk in a manner worthy. Through the first 16 verses of chapter 4, after the first three verses, where he talked about the general characteristics of that walk. Verse 2, be with humility, gentleness, patience, showing tolerance for one another in love. In other words, we are to be patient with one another. We are to understand we're at different stages in our growth, in our walk with the Lord. So we want to be patient with one another, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And then he went on to summarize and elaborate a little bit that there is one body, one spirit, one, 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 one. So we are joined together spiritually through our common faith in Jesus Christ. A faith that recognized that he had died for us. We trusted him, what he accomplished in his death and in subsequent resurrection. And God gave gifts to the body, beginning in verse 11 of chapter 4, so that the body could function together in accomplishing the purposes and work of God in these days in the world in which we lived. And as a result, verse 14, we are no longer to be children. Uh, When we're newborn babes in Christ, that's one thing. But we are to be growing. It's been five or six years since Paul has been at Corinth, recorded in Acts 19. The years have gone by. There's been maturity that's taken place. Well, we are no longer to act as children. And that means we have a stability 
and we are growing up to him. Again, in love, verse 15, we are speaking the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspect into him who is the head, even Christ. We're becoming more like him. He is being produced in and through us. And he's going to elaborate in verse 17. So this I say and affirm together with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. So he picks up on that emphasis on walk that he started out with in verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore I, verse 1, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you've been called. And he summarized and pulled together the unity we have in Christ, even with the diversity that is there because we're at different levels of maturity. But now he's back to that walk. The walk is now the negative. There are things that are not to be part of our conduct. The walk is another expression to describe the conduct we have as believers. Our daily conduct, it's like a walk, you know, one step after another. So our conduct together as believers is what he's talking about. We walk in verse 1 in a manner worthy of the calling. And that really encompassed the first three chapters as we have it in our Bibles. Now he's going to, with verse 17 go into the details that will take us really through the rest of the letter with some concluding remarks about what is to characterize us as believers. And he's going to talk about there's things that should not be part of our lives any longer, that were a real part of our lives at one time. And we want to have these fixed in our mind because we have a unity, a oneness, That again, he elaborated in chapter 4, verse 4, there is one body, one spirit. You were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. It was over all, in all, through all. But there's diversity within the body. And then he went on to talk about the gifts. But there are things that are not have any place any longer. They characterized us in our old life. And there's a dramatic contrast in what we were until God intervened in his grace. Now, some of you have been privileged to be raised in a Christian home. Some of you have trusted Christ at a younger age. Some, even though they're raised in a Christian home, don't get saved until they're adults. They may be later, maybe never. But there is the change that is to take place if you're truly a believer so verse 17 picks up so this i say and affirm together with the lord so paul says it and he has the authority as an apostle as it began in chapter 1 verse 1 paul an apostle of christ jesus by the will of god so i am one who acts as god's spokesman And I am affirming together with the Lord. What I'm saying is not my ideas, my thoughts. And we have to be careful in this. We allow the church to become the authority. The church has authority, but it's based in the word. It comes out of the word. 
been a major difference between evangelical Protestantism and Roman Catholicism, where the church and the magisterium of the church, the doctrinal head of the church, determines the doctrine. And some of it's biblical, some of it's not biblical, but it's all binding. But for us as evangelical Protestants, we understand that the authority comes from the word of God. And so that's why we study the word of God, to find out what God says. This I say and affirm together with the Lord. It's God speaking through Paul to us. I don't have authority apart from the word of God. Paul is going to bring the word of God and add to the Old Testament scriptures, for example, because he is an apostle. But with the completion of the New Testament, we're constantly driven back to the word of God, to the word of God. We do things, we meet at 10 o'clock on Sunday morning. The Bible doesn't address the time. It does tell us we are to meet together and not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together as the manner of some is, as the book of Hebrews tells us. But the basic doctrinal framework and foundation is what is in the scripture. And the others, there is give and take. And we want to recognize that and appreciate that. This I say and affirm together with the Lord, that you walk no longer. Now, verse 1 said, you walk in a manner worthy. In chapter 2, verse 1, verse the beginning of verse 2, in which you formerly walked. But now in verse 10 of chapter 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in so that we would walk in them. So the way you used to walk and the way that you now walk is totally different. The way you conduct yourself, the way you live, the focal point of your life. Oh, there are things the same. We have, we eat breakfast, lunch, and dinner. We go to our jobs. We do certain things that may be the same. But the driving force behind it all is now the work of the Spirit of God in our lives that brings us into conformity with the word of God. So when Paul says in chapter 4, verse 17, you walk no longer, you conduct your life now not the way you used to. There is a total readjusting as the Gentiles also walk. The church at Ephesus is primarily comprised of Gentiles. There may be some Jews in it, but it's primarily a Gentile church. But there's three groups now. There are Gentiles, there are Jews, and then there are saved people who are part of the body of Christ called the church. That was in chapter 2 and verses 11 and following. Remember chapter 2, verse 11. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, were called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. Uncircumcised Gentile males were called the uncircumcised people by the Jews because they were circumcised. But they had made that physical act of circumcision 
for Jews and any Gentiles that converted to Judaism, the key thing, like Protestants, they want to get their babies baptized or they want to get adults baptized because that's what makes them part. No. First, there has to be a change of heart. Now, for circumcision, it happened at eight days, but the goal was that the heart would be changed and circumcised as well as the physical body. So in chapter 2, verse 11, you formerly were the Gentiles in the flesh. Now we're talking about Gentiles in the spirit and Jews in the spirit. And they have been united, and that was in chapter 2, verses 11 and following, that we have become one body together. So now there are three entities, unsaved Jews, unsaved Gentiles, and saved Jews and Gentiles who comprise the church of Jesus Christ. God, after the rapture of the church, will resume his program in bringing Israel as a nation to himself. But right now, it's Jew and Gentile. It doesn't really matter what your national background is. When you place your faith in Christ as your Savior, your only Savior, your only hope for eternity, then you become part of the church. So back in chapter 4, Verse 17, I say this and affirm it with the Lord that you walk no longer just as the Gentiles also walk. The Gentiles in the flesh, the unsaved Gentiles, because he's writing primarily to Gentiles. At the end of chapter two, he talked about how Jews and Gentiles, their distinction has been nullified, so to speak, in that they are both now part of the body of Christ. But the Gentiles in the flesh, the primarily that make up the church at Ephesus, you don't want to walk. You don't want to live your life the way they live it. Now you'll note what happens to the church of Jesus Christ over time is that the pressure builds for the church to conform to the world. So more and more, we think, well, we want to be more like the world. Now, I'm from Pennsylvania. And we have Amish country there in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. And they dress differently and they ride their buggies and so on. We're not talking about those kind of just purely external things. We're talking about the spiritual transformation that God has made in a heart. So the Gentiles walk, unsaved Gentiles walk and live their lives differently than we are to live. You walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk. So we're different. God intends us to be different. Now, not in the way you dress, although there'll be restrictions there perhaps, but generally we eat the same food and wear the same clothes and so on. But the motivation of our heart and the conduct of our lives and the things we do and don't do are to be different. And the things that the Word of God describes as sinful are now out of bounds. They walk in the futility of their mind. They are living a different life. The unbeliever is living a different life. So while we may work the same job, we live in the same neighborhood, we are on two different tracks. We have two different motivations driving us 
And the goal of Scripture is not to get the unbeliever to live like the believer. We're going to be careful here because we get into conservative and liberal politics and we find, well, conservative would be, well, in our country, conservative would be more biblical. And pretty soon we're merging the two. The line of distinction in Scripture is between one who is a believer in Jesus Christ and one who is not a believer in Jesus Christ. You can attend this church, but unless you're truly a believer in Jesus Christ, you won't have the same inner motivation. So we don't want to walk any longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. Come over to 1 Peter chapter 4. 1 Peter chapter 4. All the way almost toward the book of Revelation, the last book of your Bible, and you come forward through those smaller books and you'll be in 1 Peter chapter 4. And look at verse 3. In all this they are surprised that you do not run with them in the same excesses of dissipation and they malign you. In other words, I'm not going to do the same thing. I don't live the same lifestyle. I don't indulge in the same things the unbeliever indulged in. And pretty soon then that becomes a negative for them. They malign you. But they will give in a verse 5 an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And on to explain the transformation that God has brought about. Verse 1 of chapter 4, while you're here. Therefore, since Christ has suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same purpose that he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for the lust of men, but for the will of God. The time already passed is sufficient for you to have carry out the desire to the Gentiles. And the church is primarily Gentile. At initial phase, where it began in Acts chapter 2, but it progressively becomes Gentile. And that is true with the passing of time. So there is to be a difference. And uh, we recognize that. We may wear the same clothes. We may go to the same job. But there's a different driving motivation that draws the line for us between what is acceptable and unacceptable. Back in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11. Remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh who are called the uncircumcision by the circumcision. The Jews look down on the Gentiles, unless you're going to convert to Judaism, you have no relationship with God. But in the church, God is joining Jew and Gentile together. And Gentile, that's the only two groups, because no matter what your background is, you're a Gentile and a Jew. But... Now God is doing something new in the church. He's joined Jew and Gentile together into one body. So verse 15, by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments, contained ordinances, so that in himself he might make the two into one new man. In chapter 2, verse 15. And might reconcile them both in one body to God through the cross. So we become one. So with our differences... We have a oneness. We may like different food. We may dress a little differently. Those things are not relevant. And the Mosaic law is not relevant. We can learn from it, but it is not in force any longer. 
and later in Romans and also in uh, Galatians. Paul talks about that. Come back to Ephesians chapter 4. So we walk no longer as the Gentiles also walk in the futility of their mind. This is why it's different. The Jew and the Gentile, the Gentile in the flesh is walking in the futility of his mind. The emptiness, that which does not produce any lasting eternal results that are conformed to the will of God. The futility of their mind. We're going to go back to Romans chapter 1. And we're going to not come back here for every time it would be a reference. But we're going to look at Romans chapter 1, just overview. Because that really is the basis of what he's saying to the Ephesians. In Ephesians chapter 4. He talks in verse 18 about the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness, unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So that's the Gentile life. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. And God has made himself known through the creation. The creation reveals something of the order of God. Verse 20, since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, his divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood by what has been made. So they're without excuse. They're without excuse. There is no excuse for the Gentile anywhere. It just reveals the sinfulness of the human heart and the rebellion and rejection of God that I will not have it that way. Even though, verse 21, they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks. They became futile in their speculations. And that same basic word, the futility of their mind, is what we have in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. The futility of their mind, the emptiness of their mind. They are without excuse. Their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools. Now note here the order. It's important. They exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for the image of corruptible man. Oh, they still are going to worship, but they're going to worship a God of their own creation. So verse 24, God gave them over. They exchanged the glory of God and the revelation he had made known. So God gave them over. Verse 25, they exchanged the truth of God for a lie. That means they worship and serve the the creature rather than the creator. So verse 26, for this reason, God gave them over. Then they exchanged the proper use of a male and a female. The women went with women, the men with men. So verse 28, they did not seem fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind. So three times, verse 23, they exchanged. Verse 25, they exchanged. Verse 26, the middle of the verse, the women exchanged. And the men in verse 27. And as a result, verse 24, God gave them over. Verse 26, God gave them over. Verse 28, they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over. So there the order is established that man is sinful from birth and with the passing of time he becomes progressively more overt in his rejection of God. 
And we see it in our society. We want to be careful. Uh, Those that are more conservative, we say, well, yeah, we want to, but really we're not changing anything that really matters. The matter is the condition of the heart. So the conservative, the Jew would agree that many of these things are wrong. But they're no closer to God in their behavior and in their worship than the Gentile who is unsaved. But he's primarily dealing with the Gentiles here. And we see it. We turn on television, male and female. And now you have male and male and female and female and everybody and they're nice people and good people and we don't want to be out of step and out of... So we don't want to imply that we don't accept that. It's sin. It's wrong. It is contrary to the will and revealed plan of God. In the beginning, he made them male and female. Jesus, when he was asked about marriage, what don't you understand? God made them in the beginning male and female. That's God's plan. Now, through the Old Testament, doesn't change. The original plan of God is his plan. So the dissolution of God's plan hasn't changed his plan. It just changed the way men react to his plan. And so while you're still in Romans 1, God gave them over, verse 28, to a depraved mind to do the things which are not proper. They're filled with unrighteousness, the wickedness, greed, envy, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice, gossips, slanders, haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful. And they know the ordinance of God. God holds them accountable. They've rejected the revelation that's clear in creation, but they reject it. And... Those who practice such things are worthy of death. God has made that clear. And they're going to die. I was reading in the news, the wealthiest people in our country. But they're all going to die. doesn't matter if you've got billions or you've got thousands or you've got hundreds or you just don't have anything worth counting. But the wages of sin is death. And you're going to die. And you're going to give an account to God. And there's a variety of religions and religious systems and all those that permeate the world. But God says there's no excuse. Even creation reveals that there is a God of order, a God who is to be worshipped, a God to be honored, but he has been rejected. So they replace the worship of him because the devil is behind all the false worship that goes on in the world. And he seeks the worship of the creation. Well, they worship, they don't do what we do, but at least they worship. That doesn't bring them any closer to God. So come back to Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Just as the Gentiles all walk in the futility of their mind. It's an empty mind. It is a mind that is not only devoid of God, it is against God. It is opposed to God. They walk in the futility of their mind. Now, we are to walk differently. We are to no longer walk in that way. And then he goes on to explain something of that walk. It is a darkened walk, a walk that has no light. 
the light of the truth of God and the word of God does not inform them. And that includes Protestants, that includes Catholics. I lump them together because unbelieving, oh, they include the word of God, but they corrupt it. It's like the Jews. They had the Old Testament, but they corrupted it. And they made the form, that's what makes me acceptable. And that's where the average Protestant is, the average Roman Catholic is. They've corrupted the word of God. So they still refer to the word of God as like the Jews. They would agree. Certain things, oh yes, those are wrong, those are wrong. And we don't do them. But they didn't have the changed heart. Circumcision, that gets me in. Baptism, that gets me in. No, it doesn't. It just becomes an empty religious ritual unless it is a reflection of what is ultimately changing of the heart. So they're darkened in their understanding. What can you say? They live in moral darkness. They don't understand the truth of God. They don't understand the basic revelation that God's given in his creation. So we want to be careful that we don't become aligned with, quote, the conservative political positions because they're not coming from the root foundational matter. They're like the Jews who had the word of God. They could quote from it. But by and large, I'm not saying that there's no Christians in a political office. There obviously are, and we're glad for that. And they can play a role. And it doesn't matter I will or I won't vote, depending on certain convictions that those that I vote for or don't vote for hold. But they're living in a fallen world. And I am living in a fallen world. So I understand that. I don't want to draw that into the church. And this is what the church is about because we're here, we're there. They're not coming from where we are coming from. So they're darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God. This is getting serious. They are alienated. They are cut off from the life of God. That's the dividing line. That's the major issue in the word of God. Do you have a relationship with the living God or do you not? Not do you have a relationship with your church? Do you believe what your church believes? Is it do you have a living, vital relationship with God? Then being part of a church that believes the word of God, that teaches the word of God, that the gifts are functioning, that's all part of God's plan. But you can attend that church, act in different ways in that church, but if not God has changed the heart, there's nothing going on that really matters for eternity. Excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance That is in them. That's a strong statement. The ignorance that is in them. They are devoid of the knowledge of God. That's the foundational issue. Do you know God or don't you? Not do you attend Indian Hills or do you attend another church? Do you know the living God? They are excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them. And because of the hardness of their heart. 
And they go together, we saw in Romans. That's where we took the time to look in Romans, where the order is established. But here it is established. They're excluded from the life of God because of the ignorance that's in them, because they don't know him. So they don't know him, they don't know of his life. So they have their own religious convictions, their own religious beliefs. But it's because of the hardness of their heart. And that's back to Romans chapter 1. They exchanged what God said was truth for what they chose to believe. Therefore, God gave them over. Here, it's the ignorance that is in them because of the hardness of their heart. Come over to John chapter 12. John chapter 12, verse 37. Though he had performed so many signs before them, yet they were not believing in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah, verse 38 of John 12. Who has believed our report? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason, they could not believe. For Isaiah said, he has blinded their eyes. He has hardened their hearts. So they would not see with their eyes, perceive with their heart and be converted. And I heal them. These things Isaiah said because he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many of the rulers did believe in him. So here again is the two factors, the hardness of the heart and the action of God. In Romans 1, it is pointed out because of man's persistence in rejecting God, God's rejected man. Now he chooses to sovereignly, and we did this in Ephesians chapter 1 where God sovereignly acted. And in chapter 2, he explained that even further of Ephesians. So the work of God in bringing about salvation is the work of God. Man left to his own continues in his rebellion and in his rejection of God. Well, you're in John. Come to Romans chapter 11. We did Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 11, verse 7. What then? What Israel is seeking, it is not obtained, but those who were chosen obtained it. The rest were hardened, just as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes to see not, ears to hear not, down to this very day. Verse 10, And David, let their eyes be darkened to see not, and bend their backs forever. But Israel as a nation has a future. And God will intervene. Verse 25, I do not want you to be uninformed, brethren, of this mystery, that you will not be wise in your own estimation, that a partial hardening has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. We live in a day of Gentile salvation. Primarily here in this church, in the churches of this city, and around the world. Primarily it's Gentiles with a few Jews being saved. But it's coming a time after the rapture of the church where God will resume to focus on the nation Israel. And there'll be some Gentiles saved, but it's primarily God bringing to completion what he has promised in the nation Israel. So back to Ephesians chapter 4. Being darkened in their understanding, excluded from the life of God, God because of the ignorance as it is in them because of the hardness of their heart of course they're ignorant they don't know the truth and that's because their heart is hardened 
the little bit of truth comparatively coming through creation compared to the magnificent truth through the word of God, but they're ignorant of it all. So they just put their faith in the church that they go to. And I have my beliefs and you have your beliefs. Yeah, that's true. But it's only the belief that is founded in the word of God, based upon God's word, placed in the finished work of Christ on the cross that brings salvation to a heart. You can be raised in this church. You could have parents and grandparents that came to this church and you could die and go to an eternal hell. But I conform and I do this and I do that. Yes, and the Jews did a lot of things that the Gentiles didn't do and vice versa. And the Gentiles in that sense didn't do a lot of what God required. But that didn't bring them any closer to God in the ultimate sense of the word of salvation. So because of the ignorance is in them, because of the hardness of their heart, they have become callous. There is, like in your hands in certain places, if you do a certain amount of work, and I don't get too many calluses, but picking up books, you know, I get a few, but you don't get the calluses. But if you do work and you use certain shovels and picks, well, then you develop calluses. And that's the picture here. Because of the hardness of the heart, they have become callous. It has become a condition of no feeling, no sensitivity. So you can stick a pin in that callus and you don't feel it. You don't notice it. And that's what happens spiritually to people because they reject the revelation of God. They become hardened in their heart. They have become callous. So it is their own fault, their own condition, their own action, because they have given themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Sensuality, impurity, greediness. There's a sexual tinge, if I can say it that way, to these words. But then they go beyond that. One of the commentaries, that word sensuality, it's primarily used of the desire to perform unrestrained desires. So sensuality, and it's in the sexual area, but it comes to other areas as well. It's conducting yourself without regard to God, what he thinks, what he says. And you can see that in the world. Oh, yeah, well, I I have my beliefs, but those beliefs now include men with men, women with women sexually, but they include all other kinds of corruption as well. The practice of impurity, their whole personality are colored by this, tainted by this. Every kind of impurity They practice impurity with greediness, whatever they want. So we see in our society, and we see more and more of it, when it started out, you had certain conformity to the word of God, even if it was external, the word of God had a certain authority. But with the passing of time, now people don't even, I can remember being at an advanced age, when even some of our senators would quote the word of God and speak of the Apostle Paul. 
But nowadays, it's just not something appropriate, even though most of them would be religious in one way or another. Some of them aren't, but most of them still be Roman Catholic or some form of Protestantism. But they're basically selfish people. My desires. One commentator I referred to said, these three words describe unsaved people who are totally consumed with themselves. And that's what these three words do. Sensuality, impurity, greediness. Basically, it revolves around me. And that's how I sort of select what I want to believe and what church I want to go to, what religion I want to have. It's what fits with my beliefs. And wait a minute. My beliefs focused in the word of God, based in the truth of God. The practice of every kind of impurity with greediness. Look at verse 20. We're going to just pull these together. But you did not learn Christ in this way. That's not the way you learned Christ. It's not just you learned about Christ. You didn't learn Christ. It is a vital personal relationship. It's just not having information about him. It is having a relationship with him that you know because of the relationship you have and the ministry of the truth becomes a real truth. The word of God is alive and powerful in your heart. It is not just a book that I read and I try to conform to certain things. It is a reality of my heart and my life. You did not learn Christ in this way. Not just learn about Christ. You didn't learn Christ. Because when I placed my faith in him, I became a new creature. Old thing passed away. New things came. I became a child of God. There's a birth that takes place. Jesus said, you must be born again. Or you never see the kingdom. He told this to Nicodemus, the teacher in Israel. You know a lot about the word of God, but you don't know the God who gave the word. You don't have that personal relationship, that reality. That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, literally the old man. What you were. You've heard, verse 21. You have heard him, you have been taught in him just as truth is in Jesus. And you know, he moves from Christ to Jesus. And most because of the uniqueness of the expression here, not the Lord Jesus, just the word Jesus, it stands out. And when God became man and in the person of Jesus of Nazareth, that's where now truth is. It's in him the person of that one who walked this earth, who went to the cross, who was raised after three days from the dead. Truth is in Jesus. You've been taught in him. You know him. That in reverence to your former life, you lay aside the old self. So now I've learned something new. I have something new. The old man, the old me is gone. That's it. It's gone. In a former manner of life, you lay aside the old man, the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. 
I mean, that's strong. That's where the old man is. So that's where now I can't live just like a Gentile lives. Just like a Jew lived, but we're dealing with the Gentile church at Ephesus. I'm living this new life. Ephesus is in Asia Minor. You get the point. We're living as Gentiles, but not as Gentiles. We're living as new creatures in Christ. Back up to Romans 6. Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old self, and there's our expression, our old man, same expression as we have in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 22, the old self, the old man, that our old man was crucified with him, that our body of sin might be done away with, that we would no longer be slaves to sin. So the old me died with Christ. So now its power, its authority over me has been broken. For he who has died is freed from sin for its control. That doesn't mean it doesn't appeal to me. It doesn't mean that it doesn't try to assert itself. But I never have to give in to it again. If we have died with Christ, we believe we also live with him. Verse 8. And... He goes on. So verse 11 of Romans 6. So consider yourselves to be dead to sin. Therefore, verse 12, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. that You should be able to lust. Verse 13, do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin. Present yourselves to God as alive from the dead. So back to Ephesians chapter 4. In reverence to your former man of life, you lay aside the old self, the old man. You take him off like an old clothes. You don't need him anymore. You're not living there anymore. It's being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. Come over to Colossians. It was written about the same time. Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Those three letters along with Philemon were written from Paul's first imprisonment at the end of the book of Acts. But Colossians chapter 3, verse 9. Do not lie to one another, since you laid aside the old self, the old man, there's our expression again, with its practices, its evil practices. You've put on the new man, the new self, the new one, which is being renewed according to a true knowledge, according to the image of the one who created him. So verse 12. So those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving with one another, just as the Lord forgave you. That's similar to what we had in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Come back to Ephesians chapter 4. You've put aside the old man when you identified with Christ in his death and in his resurrection. You are renewed in the spirit of your mind. And this is an ongoing. Verses 22 and verse 24 are in the aorist tense. They're aorist infinitives. Some of you are taking Greek. And that's basically the past tense, something that we did. We laid aside the old self, and in verse 24, we put on the new self. And then in verse 23, there's a present infinitive. This is ongoing. We are being renewed in the spirit of our mind 
So this is something going on mentally. This is where it is being made new in Christ. So I have a new mind. I can think newly in new ways. It's not, well, boy, I've got to... Now, there is an awareness because the old hasn't disappeared. So there are attractions, but I no longer have to go there. Now, this is where we want to be careful when we identify politically with conservatives. That's different than spiritually identifying with conservative, Bible-believing. Because the gamut of the Gentile that we're talking about they all come from the same place. Now, some of them are more close to being biblical than others, but we want to be careful. We don't, because the Bible's concerned with the root foundational issue. The old man and the new man, verse 24. And you put on the new man, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. And until we have the old replaced with the new, we're just adjusting in the realm of what is the old. And want to be careful that I don't become so infatuated and taken up with those, well, they're not believers, but they're closer to where we are. Well, in superficial ways, but when you get to the biblical perspective, they're not any closer to us than if we're back to the Jews. The Jews would agree. The man with the man and the woman with the woman is unbiblical. But that doesn't make them any closer to God than the unbelieving Gentile. So we want to be careful that we don't get so politically entwined. Now, again, I'm fine. We're going to be choosing between unbelievers, basically. When we vote, I want to vote consistently. If I do vote, it's personal matter. But then I'll vote for the one I think is closer to where we are. But you'll find Paul, he's supportive of whoever is in power. Peter is the same. He, you support who's ever in power. You don't agree with them on everything, but we don't expect to agree with the unbeliever on anything because we come from different foundations We have the old man and the new man. That's the basic distinction. Why are you where you are? Because I'm a new man in Christ. And as a new man, well, set that aside. We don't want to get into religious things here. Just politically, would you rather have this or this? Well, I can't get into that. There are certain things that, yeah, I would say are more in agreement. But basically, the foundational issue of a relationship with God and where you're going to spend eternity is settled on one issue. He that has the Son has life. He that does not have the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. In John chapter 3, verse 36, it's the reality of it. So we want to be careful we don't become more comfortable in this world. I'm glad for those when we have politically agree. But basically the New Testament is apolitical. Because it's just dealing with 
Do you have a relationship with Christ or do you not? Since we who have placed our faith in Christ and him alone for our salvation are now growing, the word of God is our food. We see ourselves to be brought into conformity with the word and we'll have differences. But the unity we have supersedes everything. And that is foundational. So we're back to our walk. How are we going to walk? Are we going to walk conformed to the character of our Savior and the word that he has given? Or are we going to walk according to this world? Paul says, if you've truly been made new, you walk no longer as the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. So we're in a great position, but we're in an awkward position. We are here representing the living God. We see the diversity of views around us. And in that sense, Paul would have more in agreement with his Jewish relatives. But he speaks to them as well as to the Gentiles. Because the basic issue, and we don't want this to become blurred, is your relationship with Christ. When you've been made a new man, then you put off the old man. That's going to mean we live out of step with the world in general. But we're fine with that because that's what God has called us to do and to be. So verse 25 will pick up, Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. And we want to do that. Let's pray together. Thank you, Lord, for the riches of your word. Thank you for the presence of your spirit in the life of every believer who takes this word and makes it real, makes it alive, makes it powerful. And our desire is our lives would be more and more conformed to this world, more and more conformed to the life of the Savior that we love and serve. May our service be strong, clear, and pure. In these days, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Sound Words, a ministry of Indian Hills Community Church. Make sure to download our app from iTunes or Google Play for more messages like the one you just heard. If you would like to contact us, please email soundwords at ihcc.org or give us a call at 402-483-4541.